This season of Desert Island Dishes is brought to you in partnership with Lloyds Bank and their Smart Start Bank account for 11 to 15 year olds. When I was growing up, my parents would always tell us that money didn't grow on trees and if you look after the pennies, the pounds will look after themselves. But to be honest, I never really understood what these old sayings meant or what they were trying to teach me. And I think like with lots of life skills, these things are just so much easier to learn from a young age. And this is definitely something I think about now with my own children. And I can see it in my niece because since she got her Lloyds Bank Smart Start account, she has become somewhat of a saving superstar. She's already learning how to manage her money and learning these habits, which are going to make her adult life so much easier. She's also so excited about using it too, which is brilliant. They get their own card, they get a savings account and a spending account. It's just such a good idea and something that you can do as a parent that's going to help them flourish in the future. It's so clever. It's so good for their confidence. And it's just something that I wish genuinely had been around when I was that age. I think as parents, we all know we have a lot of plates in the air (laughs) and even with the best intentions, we just don't have the time to teach our children everything that we'd like to. And sometimes that means important conversations get rushed or brushed over. So I really am excited to be working with Lloyds on this campaign because it's all focused on building financial confidence in children. To be eligible, parents and guardians need to have an existing Club Lloyds current account and be registered for internet banking. To find out more, head to lloydsbank.com forward slash smart start. Thank you very much to Lloyds Bank. Hi, I'm Margie Nomura and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven desert island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. Hi, how is everyone? I hope you're all very well. I wanted to start by saying a huge thank you for all the amazing messages and just general kindness that you've all shown about us being back. I'm so excited to be back doing this on a weekly basis. It feels so nice and I really do appreciate that we have been somewhat sporadic over the last year or so but I promise normal service has definitely resumed so you can look forwards to a new episode coming each Thursday. This week's guest is I think one of the biggest talents on the food scene and I absolutely loved hearing the story of how he got to where he is today. I think it's so interesting that no two people have the same story when it comes to their career and I personally will never tire of hearing about other people's lives. I just love hearing second and third careers. I find it so inspiring and I think to know that you're never defined by what you choose to do as a career and you can always change course, you can adapt, you can follow your passion. It's so exciting. And I also know that some of the interviews that we've done have actually inspired some of you to start new chapters, which is so incredible. We will also be doing the review of the week at the end of the episode, so do stick around to hear if that's you. And I wanted to say thank you again to our sponsor, Lloyds Bank. Now, that's enough of me wishering on. Here is today's episode. I do hope you enjoy. 
My guest today is Jessie Jenkins. Jessie is a new star on the London food scene. You may know him by his social media moniker, Another Day in Paradise. His cinematic cooking videos have been racking up millions of views, and despite only starting his social media last year, he has already amassed several hundreds of thousands of avid fans and followers. Jessie grew up in LA, combining working in a professional kitchen with life as a sponsored skateboarder. He then came to the UK and spent a very successful decade working as a fashion photographer and director, shooting campaigns for the likes of Victoria Beckham and Marc Jacobs. But it was always food that was his true passion. Inspired by the people he's cooked for and alongside over the years, his food is, in his own words, fresh, fast and a bit filthy with a laid-back American vibe, perfect for sharing. His videos, too, have echoes of his former life on a skateboard, and he now works as a chef alongside Jackson Boxer at his restaurant, and in addition, he has his own very successful series of supper clubs at Carousel London, so it truly is a very exciting time to be sitting down and talking to him. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you for having me. It's so lovely to have your Desert Island Dishes, and I believe this is your first podcast interview, so we it need is. that on the record. It that's- is our claim to fame. (laughs) It is. I'm very excited to be here. Tell me, to get started, what are your thoughts about being alone on a desert island? How do you think you'd get along? I've really thought about this a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I think I really like being on my own. So I guess it doesn't scare me that much, the thought of it. And I love that movie, Castaway. (laughs) (laughs) I would just be like Tom Hanks in Castaway, you know, I would just go through the motions and figure out how to look after myself and make friends with some sort of inanimate object. I have faith in you, Jesse. I think you'd be okay. You grew up in LA, which I feel like is something that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. When some people think of LA, they might think of Hollywood and celebrities and the Kardashians, but it's a place of many layers. So tell us a little bit about the LA that you grew up in. So growing up in LA in the mid nineties, my mom worked for a chef called Nancy Silverton in her first restaurant. It was called La Brea Bakery, and the restaurant was called Campanile. And my mom was a sort of bookkeeper, floor manager, family meal, everything, right hand. So I grew up in this world of just, it was a really elite group of young chefs. You know, you have Thomas Keller, Wolfgang Puck doing his thing. And it it was a time when, previous to that, food was very, it was diners, or a French restaurant or an Italian restaurant. And then suddenly you had a chef from Germany coming in and putting barbecue chicken on a pizza. And you had Nancy being like, no, there's more bread than Wonder Bread. Look at this sourdough loaf and look at what happens when you put effort into bread. And I'm gonna make a whole menu around just sourdough bread. And so there was something really like punk about it. And I was a kid, I was skateboarding and trying to like prove myself that way, show who I was and show my personality through skateboarding. And I learned a lot of how to do that, how to represent myself through those chefs and through that whole culture. So that was LA for me, like cooking, eating, skateboarding, just being in the city and being around creative, crazy people. That's amazing. So do you think your mom having that job really did inspire what you're doing today? Yeah, you know, it's I was pretty young at the time. So it wasn't like I was in there directly learning anything, but that culture of get a little bit better every day. And, you know, how can we add another layer to this? You know, how can we make it more us and her attitude towards work? And 
it's different. You know, working in a kitchen, everyone has to be all in. Working in a restaurant, everyone has to be all in. So I learned a lot from that. Definitely. We've got lots to talk about. Yeah. So let's dive straight into the first desert island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Probably now as an adult, the thing that I make often that reminds me of my mom, reminds me of learning how to cook or learning about ingredients was Nancy's chopped salad. She became super famous for this dish, which was just a version of a chopped salad that she did that had cured meat and cheese and radicchio and chickpeas and this sour dressing. And it was just like, I really remember my mom chopping up all those things individually on the tip. Like, I just remember all of it. Like, it's this massive ingredients that ends up coming together. And she had this one big wooden bowl that she would make it in. And she, you had to make the dressing in the bowl and smear it around the sides and everything had to come together in this one bowl. And I just like, I remember us all sitting around and then each having a bowl and scooping out of that and eating and her talking about how amazing it is and why it's so amazing. And probably me kind of rolling my eyes as a kid and now like doing the same thing with my family and kind of when I want to like think about home or be comforted, I, I often make that salad. Nancy's chopped salad. Well, my mom's version of her chopped salad. You describing that has made me want to do that for my own children so that that can be their answer to this question when they're asked that in the future. I think that's so nice. (laughs) So yeah, the other ones would definitely be, you know, my mom would make fried chicken and she would make shallow fry fried chicken in a cast iron pan and we would all eat it sort of over the sink next to her. So it was like two pieces of chicken at a time, would go on the paper, get rolled up. We would salt and pepper them and we would all sit there and eat them and chat. And that was the way she cooked and the way we shared food. And I, I definitely remember that. And the other one is she used to make potato chips in the same way, in the same pan. Gorgeous. Yeah. Kind of like conveyor belt cooking. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So from everything that I've read, the community you grew up in had a really large Korean community and you grew up eating a lot of Korean food. And I feel like even today, you can see the influence that has had on your style of food and what you like to eat. Yeah, absolutely. And it it wasn't even just Korean, like growing up in LA County, it was like Chinese, Korean, American, you know, African-American. It was just like, LA is big and there's a lot of different people and, and you learn a lot. And it was just that one of my close friends growing up was Korean. So like it's growing up in that household. It was getting to spend time in that household and see how they did things and being someone that just loves, I really like punchy food, like big time. And, you know, it's American cooking growing up. I would just like getting to go over to someone's house and eat something that was like spicy and sweet and really tangy and vibrant and colorful. And it was just like, whoa, this is so different than everything I'm having, even at Nancy's or my mom. And I just loved it. I just couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, that's so, I love that you're excited from a young age because I feel like with lots of people, that's something that comes later in life. Like you just take for granted that you have friends from different backgrounds and they're making this amazing food. And it's kind of only when you look back and think, gosh, I was actually so lucky to experience that. It was just like, for me, it was like getting to see behind the curtain. Like, it's like, oh, that's how you make this. And this is what you're putting into that. And what is that ingredient? And then like my longest job in a restaurant was at a Chinese restaurant in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And every single chef was Hispanic and it was a Chinese restaurant. So... The amount I learned about Chinese cooking and Mexican cooking and like how they would use those ingredients to make staff meal, that probably plays the biggest role in how I cook now, just because it, it's like a real 
dichotomy of, of flavors and styles and techniques. And it was very fun and very delicious all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I'm so envious hearing that. Also, you mentioning staff meals. I think in a restaurant, that is such a telling thing, like finding out what the staff are actually eating. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's pause there and talk about the second Desert Island dish. And that is the first dish you learned to cook. The first dish that I really, really wanted to learn how to cook was fried rice. It was just something that like I would always order if I was out skating or whatever. Like I loved it. So when I started learning how to cook, I obsessively and looking back, it was I made it horribly. Oh, really? Yeah, I can almost taste I can almost taste it now. (laughs) The way I was doing it was like just, you know, like way too much soy sauce. You know, it was all over the place. I now still, you know, I make it. So what is your secret now? Tell us your secret ways. Oh, you know, just like cooking the rice right and having the pan really hot. And it's really great if you have an open flame as well. You can add what they refer to as wake, which is when the grains of rice and oil sort of make a little small combustion with the fire. And that's how you get that really like hot sort of smoky flavor in Chinese cooking. It comes from the flavor of the wok, which is pretty hard to do at home. I wouldn't recommend doing it because it's like, (laughs) but no, yeah, it's just seasoning and effort and getting the rice right and and figuring out how you like it is one of those things where it's like it's a dish that it is about how you like it and I like that you can apply a lot of different whatever you've got going on in your fridge yeah I think that's the thing about cooking isn't it at the beginning you have to follow a lot of rules because you don't know what you're doing but then as soon as you get that confidence and you've been doing it a little while the rules kind of go out the window and you can just play with it yeah so please can we talk about skateboarding because (laughs) for me that is the first on this podcast but I have so many questions so let's start with how did you get into skateboarding I really have a story in my head, which I don't know if it's true, but I, I really, my, my dad grew up in Texas and moved to California when he was a teenager and then sort of back to Texas and back to California. So he was like incredibly talented baseball player and then moved to California and started surfing and skateboarding. So he's just the most amazing mix of like jock, super just like amazing at sports, but like could hop on a skateboard and ride down a hill. So he definitely got me my first skateboard. And I kind of remember being like, I really wanted a set of drums. I was really into drumming. And he was just like, let's go to the skate shop. You can get whatever skateboard you want. Like, just, I'm not getting you drums. (laughs) I think that's very sensible. (laughs) Um, Was there a point when you were just doing it for fun that it became apparent to you and everyone else that actually you were really good? I did it because I enjoyed it. Like, I skateboarded obsessively. It wasn't, it's hard to look back on it. It it was the most fun. It still is the most fun I have, but it's, you know, if if I can like see the little like documentary of myself as a kid, in fact, if I looked at a video of myself, it was just like hours and hours and hours and hours of doing skateboarding. It was just- Well, to the point where you weren't really finding it fun. No, I did. It's just, it's fun. It feels weird saying like, saying it was fun, but it was like, fun feels like, oh, you know, I'm going to go out and, you know, go swimming for a while and and like play with my friends and, you know, have an ice cream and and sort of hang out and joke and laugh. And, And there was an element to that to skateboarding. But for me, from the beginning, it was like, I just like loved it so much. And I wanted to learn everything that I was watching in skate videos and everything that I was seeing in magazines. So it was just like nonstop. It was an obsession. I didn't talk about anything else, really. Do you think at that point your dad was thinking, maybe I should have got him the drums? <laughs> no, he's, I think he was he was pretty into it. He, he wanted me to focus on school a little bit more, but I was like, I'm not good at school. I'm really good at skateboarding. I'm just going to focus on you that. You put in your 10,000 hours. I did. That's what I'm yeah. hearing. It's an area where you can fully express yourself. Like whatever it is you have going on or you want to prove to the world, like 
if you figure out skateboarding, you, you can show it through how you skateboard. And it's weird to say there is a language to it. Like I can watch someone skate and kind of know what they're into, like what music they're into or because of how they dress, I can tell what kind of skate videos and skaters they like. And yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. And it taught me so much about how I cook and how I present my company and the clothing and what music I use and sounds. And I learned all of it from skateboarding. And so tell us about being a sponsored skateboarder. What does that involve? Yeah, it's a lot of like just filming, like working with a filmer. You, know, you work your way up. You start out and you try and get sponsored by a skate shop, like your local skate shop. Okay. And you basically just like find someone to film you or you set up a camera yourself and uh, you make a little video and you make an edit and you send it to that shop. And then that shop's like, oh yeah, you're cool. Like put you on the team. We'll give you a board and you got discount on stuff. And then at the time they would then help you get your sponsor me tape, which is literally what it's called sponsor me tape to sponsors. So it's like, oh, I really want to ride for this company. Like, can you send it to them? And So at that point you were thinking, this is what you love to do the most in the whole world. Oh, yeah. You no, need to no find doubt. a way to make this like no your doubt. career. There's absolutely no doubt. And and we moved from LA to the Valley and I kind of was like in a new school and figuring all that out. And and luckily, like I just was like, I found this kid that was a skater and he was like, Do you know how to skate? And I was like, Yeah, I used to do it all the time. Like I'm pretty good. <laughs> and he was like, Oh no, you're good. And and he sort of introduced me to this group of people. I just ended up in a situation where I was like ended up in the epicenter of skateboarding at that time. It was just a perfect storm. So I just watched what they did and I watched how they were getting sponsors and some of them were getting paid. And I was like, oh, wow, you could totally make a life out of this. And if it doesn't work and you get hurt, you can just like work for a skate company. What, you get so badly hurt, you can't skate anymore, like, yeah. Jesse? <laughs> that no, sounds it's, terrifying. The hard thing is, is like, it's boring, but like if you like blow out your knee, it's same as sports. Like if you get an injury that ultimately doesn't affect your everyday life, but it just means that you, you're going to keep re-injuring yourself, then you can't really push yourself in the same way. But scary to have, in a way, a passion linked to a career where that kind of thing can happen. And then that's yeah. so out of your control. Well, you got a little control over it, you know. Yeah. I think this is... So interesting because this is essentially what you're describing as your first career. And then we're going to get on to talking about your second career. Yeah. Now you're in your very successful third career. But throughout all of those things, you've been acquiring knowledge that has got you to the point where you are now. Like you're able to utilize all of those different things into whatever you're then doing. Absolutely. Very clever. Let's pause there and talk about the third desert island dish. And that is the best dish you've ever eaten. Oh, yeah. So I thought about this a lot, too. And that's that's like... Definitely at the moment, one that I, as you mentioned, I work for a chef called Jackson Boxer. I just, he kindly lets me, let me come into his kitchen and start working for him when I started doing ADIP. And I was like, I want to, you know, I can't fully commit. And he's, it's really cool that he's let me come in. And, and now I work there every week. And part of the reason why I fell in love with Jackson was one of his dishes. And it's this whipped cod's row on fermented potato bread. And it's honestly like, I'm there every week, right? And I eat it every week. You know, I said it to him the other week. I was like, I still love this. And honestly, yeah, it's at the moment, it's definitely my favorite dish. That sounds amazing. If you haven't had it, go to Orsay, order it and everything else. You know, it's an incredible restaurant. Jackson's like just one of the most talented people I've ever met. He's very inspiring. And a big part of the reason why I'm able to do what I'm doing now, you know, being able to have a professional chef sit there and kind of just keep you in line, which is really what I wanted. Like if I'm going to portray myself as what I am, a chef, I want it to 
guidance. <laughs> yeah. When you told him that that was one of the best dishes, which by the way, sounds incredible. It's incredible. Did he, was that one of the dishes that he's most proud of? Yeah, he does. He really likes it. And I was asking him his advice the other night and he kind of, when you're thinking about making food for people, if you don't enjoy it anymore, you definitely shouldn't be serving yeah. it. You know, and it's, he was kind of like, that's how I know to keep things on the menu. And, and, and I was like, oh, that's really cool to think about, especially as I'm sharing, you know, sometimes with my new job, I'm just thinking about trying to get people to engage and give them what they want. Mm. And I do have to think about whether or not, like, I really rate what I'm slanging. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. But that, that's kind of to compare it to a singer who has like a song that they're famous for. Yeah. And then every concert, they have to sing it. Otherwise, mm. people are going to be very disappointed. I wonder whether the same happens when you've been a chef for many years and you have this dish or several dishes and it's what people are expecting, but you're you're wanting to push on to the next level. I wonder whether that ever happens. That's a weird question. Like my middle job, I started out working as an assistant for a music video director. I ended up shooting stills on music videos and then shooting single covers and working my way up in that world. And a few opportunities I got with people that had really famous songs like that, I asked them that question, like, are you sick of singing that song? And honestly, like, not that I asked, maybe like two or three people that I can remember. And they were like, no, I love it. I absolutely love it. I guess yeah. you would love it because it's given you everything. And it's not like a 20 minute long ballad. It's just one song. Yeah. And like, it means so much to you in probably different ways as you go through your life. I guess you wouldn't have. And for me, not that like I have any hits, but I, even if I'm cutting a vegetable a certain way or whatever, it's every single time I'm like trying to get it better than I did the last time. Yeah. And it rarely is. Often it's not as good and it's that process. And I think as long as you're you're in it and you're trying to be better and you actually enjoy what you do, you're ready to keep going. But when you came over to the UK and you started working as a fashion photographer, is it true that your first proper break into the photography industry was from Jamie Oliver? Weirdly, yeah. The first time I ever got paid. Oh my God, this is like, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that they knew that or that anyone knew that. But yes, I was a sort of like tag along to like a private dinner he was doing for a charity event or something like that. And we got to chat and I just told him, you know, how great I thought he was. And I did photography and he just like sight unseen, didn't look at my work or anything, gave me a job wow. shooting something. And he's just like such a great person. That's so cool that he did that. I always remember that. I'm like, that's a really cool way of figuring out whether or not you want to work with someone or giving someone an opportunity. And he's in a position to do it. And I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never taken a photograph of food before, <laughs> um, but it was cool. It was really fun. It was for one of his new restaurants and did some pictures and He's always been really nice ever since. And that was the first thing I did. So isn't that incredible that your break into photography ultimately led to this unbelievably successful fashion photography career, but the gateway was food. And yeah. now you've come back to food. I know. It only took me 10 years to figure out how to shoot food the way I want to shoot it. But <laughs> Something I was thinking about, which was, I think is really interesting, is that you had been cooking in restaurants in LA and you'd obviously had this passionate interest in food but then you had this decade of working as a fashion photographer and during that decade the food scene largely driven by social media has mm. changed so much enabled by phones and what we can do with them and the quality of the film that people are making but that must have been quite interesting for you to witness in particular from the outside looking in it's hard to explain i like it's amazing seeing like 
how people approach food now because of social media and the amount they've learned, like that moment of me being at my friend's house and like I said, seeing behind the curtain and seeing the ingredients they use and having my mind blown, it kind of feels like that's happening on mass that people are like, oh, that's how you make that Turkish dish. Oh, that's how you make, you know, like everyone's just like firing on all cylinders, cylinders and trying to figure out how to make their food taste as exciting as possible or like, you know, trying to figure out how to make things easier or like hacks. And I just think it's the most exciting thing ever. And I like the whole time just wanted a piece of it. I was like, how do I apply what I've learned in fashion to this? Like, how do I get involved in this? Because it just seems like very fun. Well, and you have done that. I have done that now. (laughs) (laughs) But from the outside, I just wanted to ask, like fashion photography, I mean, there couldn't be a more glamorous sounding Mm. sentence. Is it as glamorous as it seems from the outside or what's the reality of being inside? Yeah, it is. It's like, it's as far as like work goes, it's not dissimilar to life in the kitchen. It's like, you've got to be all in. You can't have a bad day. No, it's very competitive. There's a lot of people out there that are ready to work harder than you. It's a really high pressure environment and the rewards are very big. That's just the reality of it. You get to work with really exciting, inspiring people and some of the best you know, I consider designers to be just some of the best artists in the world and getting to sit with someone like Mark Jacobs and see into how he comes up with not only just like the way clothes look, but how they're presented in a campaign. Again, getting into that skateboarding thing of like, how does he communicate his life story into a pair of shoes and then into an image? But he's really talking about his life experience. And I, that's what I loved the most. Like everyone's got a big idea. I have like a thousand big ideas but getting them onto paper and like slowly distilling them into what they need to be and how to communicate your idea, your vision with the least amount possible. And that, that is fashion. You know, you like Mm. some campaigns are just a white wall and they're communicating their whole story with that white wall and a person. So it's tough. What you just said, I just instantly thought of the devil wears Prada where like you don't realize all the nuances and, and actually what goes into a new season collection or something like a color isn't just a color there's so much thought behind it's that everything. and as you say it's someone's life story it is. is presented in that color yeah and, and you know, when you first get in your assistant you're just like come on like, it, this is like crazy why are you taking this so seriously and as you start to at least for me develop your own ideas and try and communicate them you realize how much brain energy it takes it's tiring <laughs> <laughs> your eyes just went really yeah. wide Let's pause there and talk about the fourth desert island dish. Jesse, what is your favorite sandwich? Yeah, so if a cheeseburger is a sandwich, definitely my favorite sandwich is In-N-Out Burger. Big time. Jesse, that's the second time that has come up. And I've never had an In-N-Out Burger, so I'm obviously really missing out. Okay, first of all, what is your order at In-N-Out? And second of all, what is it that makes it so good? Double-double, animal style, with chopped chilies animal style fries and a Coke, extra chilies on the side. I don't know what kind of chilies they are, but they're really spicy and they're these pickled little green chilies and they're fantastic. Extra sauce as well. Definitely anyone that grew up in California is like, that's the California burger. You know, for the most part until, I don't know, however many years ago, there wasn't even an in and out outside of California. It's still owned by the same family. Like there's an absolute refusal to franchise because they can't control ingredients and where they come from. And and it's a good company and lots of my friends work there and, you know, they pay a decent amount. It's just like a really cool company. So I love it. And as far as the taste goes, it's the most comforting thing to have. Like it's just it's just getting to have an In-N-Out as a kid was the most exciting thing. Let's just go through every layer. 
what they go through to do it. It's like they make their buns. They have a very specific recipe. It's very soft inside and like sort of steamed and toasted. So it's like soft on the outside, a little crunch on the inside. They do caramelized and raw onions. And the burgers are fried in American mustard. So they have like, you know, they got a little bit of flavor going on. They got their little special thing happening. Their burger sauce is just a version of the burger sauce we all know and love, but it's my favorite one. Whatever they're doing really works. And there's just a really big piece of lettuce in it and tomato. And that combination you'll see throughout any food I talk about is like fresh, crunchy thing, pickled thing, savory thing, and then like soft doughiness just to wrap it all up. And it hits all the notes I really love. And then, you know, the little addition of the chilies. I think we should end this recording now because I, I need to get on a plane and obviously need to go and get one of these burgers yeah. immediately. That sounds amazing. Order right. Okay. You know, get all the stuff. Have you found a burger equivalent since living in the UK? No, I, there's amazing burgers here. There's definitely burgers that are just as good that I crave, but it's not the same thing. And that might just be nostalgia and environment and all those things, little things make a different, you know, branding and the chair you sit in, this, all of it. It's kind of the wax paper it's wrapped in, all that sort of stuff. So so the thing that is so unique about your food videos is that you can tell that they were shot by a professional and you have this unique advantage of being both the talent in front of the camera, but also the talent in the filmmaking. Do you think that is one of the reasons for your, what can only be described as an explosion onto the food scene? Like you're bringing something that people haven't necessarily seen before. It's always hard to talk about your own success but I've gotten a lot of feedback that says like, it's, it feels different. But to me, I was like, I want like-minded people to see what I'm doing. I want to be able to try and communicate, like, not that you can choose your audience on Instagram, but you have a better chance of it. Most of the time when you're working for a magazine or something, it's, you, you know, you're handing it away. So may, maybe it's that, maybe it's just that I, I apply those same principles and I really think about how to, but also it's really just what I love. Starting it was a selfish thing. It was a way for me to sort of I was kind of struggling in fashion to do what I was talking about. I saw other people doing like really put themselves on the page and I couldn't figure out why. And during lockdown, when I started playing with food and trying to work out how to do it, I was like, it just felt like me, you know, like I'm, these are the stories I want to tell. And these, these are my reference points. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it works just because it's honest and it really comes from a place of love for food and love for film. And maybe that's different feels different. I think you've said several things there that have really resonated with me and I think are really interesting. I think so often we're on a path doing what we're doing and and you kind of think that's what you have to do forever. So I really like that you've changed direction and you've taken all these elements from your past and you're doing what you're doing now. And I also think what we've endured over the last couple of years, some of it was really awful, like, you know, the consequences of COVID and lockdown. And and I think there being just a positive success story in you using that opportunity to think about what you actually do want to do and then taking a leap of faith and now actually, you know, it spawned people's careers and these amazing brands have been created on social media. So I think, yeah, that wasn't really a question, just what you said no, really resonated. Yeah. I, yeah. Let's pause there and talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. Packet ramen. What do you do to a packet ramen a lot. to jazz it up? A lot. Okay, tell us your secret. But secrets. you know, I think it's one of those things where it's it's what I personally eat the most often. It's me and my wife and our two young kids and we have family members nearby and they're young and they like different things. 
And the thing I probably make for them the most is like roast chicken and this pesto situation where I get like a bunch of broccoli and green beans and spinach into this pesto and they love it. So I eat that a lot too. Wait, tell and us more about that. That I know. sounds amazing. You just skirted oh, yeah, over yeah, this that, delicious. Yeah, the, 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 kids, the kids like big green pesto where I'm just like figuring out different ways to get green things that maybe they don't like as much into this sauce. And you can pesto pretty much anything. As long as you put enough basil and parmesan in there, you're good. Yeah, I think um, parmesan really is the secret, isn't it? It just, is. Just add cheese if in doubt. <laughs> but for myself, you know, after like kind of cooking at the restaurant or shooting cooking videos and constantly thinking about flavors and tasting things. I love packet ramen. It's it's a blank canvas. And whether it's like Korean, like shin ramen, and I'm doing a scoop of gochujang and kimchi and an egg and a big handful of spinach and loads of green onions, you know, and it just becomes this whole fantastic almost stew. And sometimes I get really dirty with it. Like the day before yesterday, I made like a carbonara. But instead of, I'm going to do it on the channel at some point, but it freaks people out. But carbonara is like eggs and fat. You know, it's cheese and egg yolks and whatever. So I just use mayonnaise. So mayo. In the carbonara? No, no. I just take like a pack of ramen noodles, cook them yeah. in their thing, strain them, scoop of mayo, a little bit of citrus, a little bit of vinegar, something to loosen it up. And it becomes this like creamy thing you put cheese in it and you've got like the eggs and the fat and everything to emulsify this already can, perfectly emulsified so sauce and then i always have furikake in the drawer because that's just like the most delicious seaweed seasoning put that on top so it's just one of those things it's a blank canvas and you can do whatever you want with it and again it's like it just reminds me of home we always had packet ramen growing up and we were always figuring different ways to zhuzh it up it got real weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's focus on the mayonnaise. Yeah. Okay, so you're straining it. You're not mixing the liquid. But yeah, that's mayonnaise. if I'm just having the noodles on their own. Okay. Yeah. But I still use the seasoning. And so. Hellman's, are we going QP? That's a QP one. QP is yeah. really expensive now, though. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll use Hellman's a lot, and too. And what is, is QP? It's more, that's a higher ratio more, of egg yolk. More egg yolk. It and it's like, it's, it has MSG in it. It has like seasonings that feel definitely more umami. It's more savory. Yeah. And the egg yolks really help. Like, it's very creamy. It almost yeah. is like, has a sweetness to it. But I love, I grew up on Hellman's. I'm a big Hellman's fan. So I'm happy with either one. So you'd worked in kitchens in LA. You're working in kitchens now. Mm. But talk to me about working in kitchens because I... I feel like you love it, which I'm interested in because I found it terrifying <laughs> and very stressful. And just mainly, I was just terrified 98% of the time. I was but... <laughs> too. That's the reason why, you know, I kind of stopped doing it when I was younger. I was, you know, I'm very sensitive, rejection sensitivity all the way, like being in the kitchen as a 20 year old and just was like, I was all over the place. And now I realize why they're upset. They're putting their life's work onto this plate and you're just like, messing it up and not and acting like it doesn't matter it is hard it's really high stress and the margins in restaurants are are really tight so a few mistakes in a night everything gets muddled up and they all add up so it's scary yeah. it's definitely scary and you i think a lot of there are real toxic environments that are unnecessarily toxic and to be honest i haven't seen a lot of that recently definitely growing up i did it was a different vibe not recently. I feel like new generation of chefs has totally rebelled against that. But it's scary. It's intense. There's not a lot of room for error. And there's not a lot of room for attitude or talking back. 
I appreciate that life has changed a lot over the last few years and, you know, you've had several career changes, but did you and do you have a plan in terms of what you want your future career to look like? Or are you very much just doing what you're doing, taking opportunities as they come? No, there, there's a plan. It's definitely ever growing, you know, like, yeah, it's hard. It's a conversation I have with my wife all the time. You know, we do a lot of this together. She's amazing. And she looks at my edits and we talk about things creatively and think about like, what does this look like five years from now, 10 years from now? And I definitely always want to be able to make recipe videos. I just love making them. So hopefully there's always the space to do that. I obviously love design and I love making products. So I'm in the process of making a few things that will be coming out here That's shortly exciting. with some food products and also tools for the kitchen. I, I love kit and I love kind of taking what I've learned in kitchens and, and applying it to the home kitchen without kind of losing the soul of it. Like how, you know, what makes life easier. That's so exciting. And, but hopefully anything that keeps me working in food is the plan. We're on to the sixth desert island dish and that is your go-to dinner party dish. So now, since moving to the UK, definitely is we make shawarmas at home. Ooh. So we'll do like lamb shawarmas at home. It's something I really like. If you haven't figured out by now, I really like wrapping things in bread. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who doesn't? But yeah, that's just a really fun one. Like taking a big piece of lamb and cooking it all day and then pulling it apart and setting it on the table with big piles of fresh herbs and vegetables and making lots of sauces and letting people kind of build that flavor profile I talk about so much. It's like, you know, you have that savoriness of lamb and softness of bread and creaminess of a yogurt sauce and lots and lots of herbs and chilies and pickles. And you get all the notes that I really love. And, you know, learning about that style of cook, I, you know, I wasn't super familiar with what a shawarma was before I moved to the UK. It wasn't something I grew up eating. And so kind of, I remember my friend being like, you gotta come with me to this place, Marouche. I think you'll really like it. He's like, it's kind of, you know, it's like a taco. It's like, you know, it's a wrap. You'll like it. And I was like, this is awesome. Is that Marouche juice? There's loads of them. So there's Marouche. There's his daughter's name, Renouche. There's Marouche, Renouche. There's Renouche juice. And the, but yeah, it was the one on Edgeware Road. One of the OG ones. Yeah. Or maybe the original one. I don't know. But it was, um, so I when, still go now. So when you're doing it at home, what cut of lamb are you using? Whatever, you know, I'll use either a shoulder or... Like, and just, just really slow roasting. Yeah, just as soft as soft okay, as so I you're not, it. you don't have like a spinning thing no. where you're shaving off. No, it's just like, I'll just slow cook lamb and make a version of a shawarma with slow cook lamb. We do sometimes do this thing with like, but it's, it's complicated and never really that good where we like take like a piece of pineapple or something and put big chopstick in it. Yeah. And then you can layer the meat like a rotating, I'm not sure what they're called. And then you just put that in the oven and glaze it and keep moving it and you can shave it off and kind of mm -hmm. do the thing. Yeah. But you know, it's not as good as when you go to the restaurants. That's a good philosophy. And would you serve a pudding? Uh, no, we have like lots of ice cream and lots of fruit around and things like that. We're not, I'm not a baker at all. I love this question for people who've worked in professional kitchens, because I think there's an expectation or a pressure that people put on themselves if they're not a professional cook. They've got people around, like they need to deliver and it needs to be three courses. And I don't know, I just hear some of my friends, they really stress a lot about putting together this amazing dinner party. And actually when you've worked in food, I think you take the opposite approach. Like you want it to be delicious, but it's relaxed and it's informal. Yeah. You don't stress about not having pudding. You've got ice cream and that's delicious. 100%. Yeah. And like, it's also less pressure on everyone. And I think learning how to, that's something my mom taught me for sure is learning how to like 
style out using things that are already made in what you're doing, you know? So it's like, sometimes we'll do ice cream and I'll, I'll blend like cornflakes. So just like put cornflakes in the Nutribullet and cover vanilla ice cream and cornflakes with like a little, like a pot of dolce de leche. And, you, and then suddenly you have this thing that's like, well, this is really good. And it's like, it's just stuff you already have or but you should never say that jesse you say no, yes it is, is. yeah i'm not we're not i'm not from all from scratch guy no way cornflakes uh, dolce de leche and ice cream yeah that vanilla ice cream fantastic amazing. i learned it from my my friend lol made it for me once and i was like she's the most incredible cook yeah i learned it from her and was like oh yeah i'm never i'm never forgetting that that's incredible i mean jesse your friends must be queuing up i say like happens all the time <laughs> We're not like entertaining all the In time. In case they're listening, but, we're not yeah. doing it all the time no. and you're not invited. <laughs> but those those things are fun and I definitely like to have fun with it. We have a cookbook corner on Desert Island Dishes. Please, can you tell me what is your most treasured cookbook? It's a good question. I mean, the one I use the most is from a restaurant called Night Market in LA, which is a Thai restaurant. And the chef's name is Chris and his parents had a Thai restaurant on Sunset. It's a street in Los Angeles and my mom's office was right above it. So she used to go there on her lunch break and sit at the bar and have a beer and eat Thai food. And, and, and when I came, like I hadn't seen my mom for a long time. We sort of became close again when I was as an adult and she took me there and I had never really had at that point traditional Thai food. You know, I was living in the Valley and skateboarding and mostly eating junk food and I had my time at the Chinese restaurant and things like that. But Thai is a very specific and I just hadn't had it like that. And I was, it was just mind blowing. And then when the, when his parents closed down the restaurant, I believe he took it over and then it opened night market. And it is just like one of my favorite meals in the world. So when he released a book saying exactly how he makes everything and like his whole ethos around how he procures ingredients and where he went in Thailand and where he studied and where he got the idea for this, it's like, I just love it. I've learned so much from it and I open it up all the time and I just enjoy looking at it. So yeah, that's probably that one. It's just called Night Plus Market. That's the one. And that's Chris. Well, I'm going to have to, yeah, just I'm going to cool have to look that up. That looks gorgeous. Very inspiring. It's very delicious. Mm. I think, yeah, he's just opened up a place here in the Hoxton called hmm. Chet's. He's like, oh, he that's did, Chet's. Yeah, oh my Chris, goodness. Chris did the menu for that. We're obsessed with Chet's. Know, it's, it's been really like good. four times. He's amazing. It is very exciting. Chats so cool. is really yeah, good. It's incredible. Really good. Although it made me realize I'm like a real baby with spice because someone had told me that the crispy rice salad was quite spicy to ask for it less spicy and even the less spicy, like yeah, it spicy. took my head off. We need the spice. <laughs> but it was amazing. We make that crispy rice it salad here. Because we learn in, how to make it in this book. Is that in the book? It is. Every single step. I think there is a thing. It's hard when you cook books that are from restaurants I think sometimes things are lost in translation or whatever the process is like, if you follow the recipes, they're as good as the ones you have with him, minus the sort of heat of the walk and, and the temperature, you know, they cook and things, but it's really good. It's very thorough. That is actually a very good point. Quite a lot of restaurant books that I think maybe assuming that you won't try to recreate it, or if you yeah. do, it's sort of a dumbed down version somehow. Totally, or just like not, it's just maybe, not the same. maybe being worried about how much you put of this in or how much you put of that in or like just making it consumer ready and I think we're ready as a consumer yeah. <laughs> we're ready for the real the realness bring it <laughs> we're ready for the crispy rice <laughs> right we're on to the final seventh desert island dish what is the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island okay the way I look at that question is that my life is kind of ending in a way and like this is my last chance to have something yeah. super comforting so I don't want I wouldn't want anything too extra 
and by far my my favorite sort of sandwich other than the cheeseburger but my most comforting and like is wonder bread which is a lot like hovis like really soft white processed bread hellman's mayonnaise mm-hmm. american mustard mm-hmm. some sort of like cheap ham just like sandwich ham american craft cheese and like the most potato chips you've ever seen like how many <laughs> chips can you fit in the sandwich and bread and butter pickles that sandwich for me is like that was our you know when i was a kid that was like our beach sandwich cuz you could kind of just like have all those things and put it together and I, i don't know if i remember the first time i had it but i can remember eating that like it's just the it's so delicious i still eat it a lot <laughs> and i love it that sandwich is something that no matter what situation i'm in i know i would want and i would very happily have that that combination of flavors can be my last sort of like taste of home you've kind of left me speechless because that is a dream a dream sandwich it's really good if you haven't had it go make it it's like it's so delicious jessie thank you so much those thank are your you. desert island dishes is that it wow thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it it's been amazing honestly it's such an honor i love the show it's like really crazy to be a guest i sort of can't believe it so thank you So there we have it. <laughs> Probably the best ever ending that we've had to an episode and another delicious day of Desert Island dishes. If you enjoy the podcast, do you think about subscribing wherever you're listening? And it's now time for our weekly review of the week. This one is from Lexi77 and they said Love the format, love the show. I hope you don't mind Margie, but I use your questions as conversation starters. mind Lexi oh my goodness i don't mind at all i think that's amazing makes me so happy to hear that and yeah always really good to have an icebreaker question up your sleeve i think it was michelle rue that told us his which was asking someone to tell him their favorite ice cream flavor and why so that's another good one although i have to say i have tried that on a few people and um you do kind of just get a one word answer <laughs> so but maybe that's the way i'm asking the question maybe that tells me something about the person i was asking the question to i don't know anyway if you'd like your review read out next then you know what to do If you don't already then do come and follow us on Instagram at Desert Island Dishes and you can also sign up for the newsletter on the website which is desertislanddishes.co and there you'll get emails telling you about that week's guest and all sorts of good stuff. Thank you again very much to Lloyds Bank our sponsor for this season of Desert Island Dishes and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.